Father, I am weak. Lord, I'm not even worthy to open your word and to preach it. But I thank you that your grace covers me and I thank you that I am free by your grace. I thank you that your Holy Spirit has written us a word and that you desire to speak it to us. So I pray that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you've been here with us the last two weeks or received any of our email connections, uh, you know that we are doing a series in the book of James. And so you can turn there. We'll we'll wrap up the book of James chapter 1 today, looking at verses 22 through the end. Uh, Jim DiBiaso did the first two weeks, and we will continue on this series. I will do this week and next week with Pastor Will, um, continuing in the book of James. Jim recapped it a little bit, but I still need to remark on it. James was Jesus' half-brother, and I find it a remarkable feat that uh, he survived the perfect brother who did no wrong. He watched his brother perform miracles that he himself probably couldn't do. He watched Jesus spend sweet times of prayer and fellowship with the Lord that James just didn't have. He watched Jesus give amazing teachings and watch people flock to him. And here he is. Um, I know that Jim shared it, that although James initially struggled and though he initially didn't believe, he ultimately came to believe. And he placed his faith in Jesus. I find that alone remarkable. I have only one brother, and I would say that he is my best friend in life. I love my brother dearly. We're two years apart. We did everything together. But let me tell you, um, we had our rough moments. And I still like to compete against my brother and brag. I'll still tell you that he has only ever once beaten me in a wrestling match. We tried again two years ago at the beach. I won, uh, just for the record. But I imagine it challenging being in Jesus' brother and living in Jesus' shadows. But James ultimately came to place his faith in Jesus, and he became a leader in the early church. He wrote, um, he traveled speaking and teaching to churches, and he wrote this book of James. And, but I, what I love about James is that he didn't try to be Jesus. Jesus had his own skill sets, his own giftings, and his own things, but James really didn't try to mimic or copy Jesus. He was his own person. And so James had a different set of skills, and in writing this book, he writes it differently than Jesus did. We don't have any parables or confusing stories, or we don't have the deep theological writings of Paul or what we read in John. We have a very plain, down-to-earth book that for those of you that might think that the things of faith are too deep for you or too mystical or too mysterious, the book of James is for you. He's a very down-to-earth, mellow guy that says, this is how it is, this is what to do, here it is. And so we're going to look today what James says in verses 1 through, or James chapter 1, 22, through the end as he lays it out plain and clear. Says this in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, if you were Martin Luther, the great reformer, the great Protestant reformer 500 years ago, who was a monk that did things like eat bland food, that would sleep with rough blankets, that would pray and wake themselves all hours of the night to pray, that would literally beat themselves in trying to appease and earn God's favor, um, this sounds like the opposite of what Martin Luther found to be true. 
We know that Martin Luther was a monk that tried to do those things. For whatever he did, he tried to earn God's happiness and favor until he stumbled across Romans 4.1 and he found that you are justified by faith and through faith. And so Martin Luther really struggled with the book of James. In fact, in his teaching and in his schooling, he would not teach or preach or say anything about the book of James. Some would even argue that he tried to get it out of the canon of Scripture because he thought James opposed what Paul taught. But I want to try to clarify today that James wasn't writing in a way to, you know, going back to the law and preaching to the law and trying to teach justification by the law, that James wasn't teaching that but in fact that James actually works hand in hand with Paul. So we know that Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. You are not saved by your works so that no man can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so I'm not going to get up here and preach that we need to follow the law to earn God's favor, to earn God's happiness, to earn God's salvation. Um, You are saved by faith through grace. You did nothing to earn your salvation. It is a gift given to you by God. We are dressed in the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness, not our own works, but by the works of Jesus Christ. And James would write agreeing with that. But you best believe that once you come to find that grace and once you've been given Christ's righteousness and once you've been wrapped in his robes and you've been crowned with his glory and he makes you his own and he buys you with a price, that he's going to do something with that. And that your life isn't going to look the same as it did before. And that he is going to change you. And that he is going to produce good works in you. I have a quote here that says this. Legalism, God says, will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. And so you best believe that just like Paul, who it said in the scriptures that we learned this week at camp, was doing his best to persecute Christians and that he even wished Christians to death and that he was setting out on the road to Damascus when all of a sudden that he was blinded and scales fell over his eyes. And then Ananias comes and prophesies to, to Paul, and then we know that he is converted, and that he is saved, and he has received the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he accepts him for who he is. You know what it says? It says then afterwards, he immediately began preaching the word of God. Because of the gift that he had received, and because of the mercy and the grace that was revealed to Paul, he then put that into action. I have a saying that I learned in Bible college that Oftentimes when I get caught up um, in legalism or running the law or focusing on that, that I remind myself of to remember. If you go to the next slide, Alex, it says this, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. And the law apart from Christ and the law outside of Christ can only do one thing. It can remind us of where we are flawed. It can remind us of what we are not. It can remind us of the standard that we have failed to meet. Yet it demands us, run. You run that marathon. You, you run that race. You, you walk that path. But provides us and leaves us without the tools in order to do so. Imagine showing up and you're a general contractor and your job is to build a house and you show up on site and there's just a plot of land. And, uh, the arch- and you know, they say, you know what? Build a house. Where are my supplies? Where are my tools? You know, where's my backhoe to dig... Um, the foundation, where's the concrete to lay the foundation? And the guy just says, you know what, just, just build me a house. That's what the law is like. It commands us and demands us to build the house without supplying us the tools and the equipment and things necessary. But he goes on to say this, for a better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly 
and gives us wings. And so the gospel comes and it says, you know what, I'm calling you and I'm asking you to fly, but now I've given you the tools and the things necessary in order to do so. And now I've given you the Holy Spirit who has now come to live and to reside in you. And so now not only have I given you the tools to build the job, and not only have I poured the foundation, and not only have I supplied the supplies, but I'm also right here with you, walking alongside you, and I'm not going to leave until that house is built. And so James is not writing to oppose Paul. He's actually writing to confirm it, that you have been saved by faith, and you have been changed by grace. But that grace is then manifested by your works. As you read later in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. Is that when Christ comes to live inside of you, there is evidence of that because he will change us. And so let's go back and read verse 1 again. And for our first point, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I could end the sermon right there if every Christian were just to listen to that. Open this, read it, do what it says, and you will find and live a blessed life, and I would not even need to have a job. But we struggle with that, and I struggle with that, and we often don't do what it says, but it says this. Anyone who listens, or we'll start there. Verse one, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. So point number one, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Um, James implies something in this verse that I don't want to necessarily imply today and that I want to cover. James implies that the people are hearing the word of God. And I don't want to just assume that, and I don't want to just make that assumption. So the first point is this. You've got to hear the word of God. In order to know what to do, you've got to have the instructions. You've got to know what God's word says. It's like getting furniture from Ikea, and you open it up, and there's no instructions. I'm doomed, <laughs> right? I've got no shot of what's coming out after that. Even with the instructions, I struggle, don't I? <laughs> but you've got to know what it says. And in the 21st century and in today, you have more access to God's word than any other person alive or any other generation or any other decade than, that has ever lived. Imagine in James' time, they didn't even have a canonized Bible. They didn't even have a complete Bible. They waited for letters to be sent by horseback or by chariots to receive to them so that they could teach and preach. They didn't even have the fullness of Scripture Today, at any minute or any second, you can open up the Bible and have the Word of God. You can go home tonight or after church today and get on the internet and listen to sermons, and you can read articles that teach you the Word of God. So the first thing that you got to do is you got to hear the Word of God. you got to get it into your life. But James goes on to say that it's not merely enough to just listen to it. It's not merely to say, you know what, Jesus, that's a really good teaching. That sounds awesome. Or, you know what, Pastor Ryan, that was a really good word. I would argue that, you know, it's always nice that people compliment you on your word and say that's a good word on Sundays, but guess what? It really means nothing because you haven't had an opportunity or a chance to do anything with it yet. You want to truly compliment a pastor or a preacher or a teacher of the word, come back six months ago and say, you know what, that word that you preached about peace or the Holy Spirit, I've made that active in my life and I did something with it and it's produced fruit in my life. It's not merely enough just to sit there and to hear it. James is commanding us to do something with it. I can tell my kids all I want. Bryce, you got to go to the bathroom before bed. You know, you got to use the bathroom before bed. And if he doesn't listen, guess what? Who, guess who's awake changing sheets in the middle of the night? You know, it doesn't do us him any good just to hear the words. He has to, yeah, my wife's saying it's her. That's right. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, 
The Bible can tell us to, and we can know that it says to tame our tongue, but the next time we're at work and someone's gossiping about someone else, it's much harder to actually tame the tongue and to shut the lips and to not speak about that person. Not to let anyone off the hook or to give an excuse, but some of the greatest pain and some of the greatest damage is done in Christian's life and some of the greatest hurts are by people that have heard the word of God and they've sat in church pews and they've listened to the word of God and they've studied it from youth and they fail to live it out outside of it. But listen, when the word of God is heard and then it is put into action and when the faith is then lived out, it is the greatest blessing, benefit, and thing that you could ever do with your life. Imagine this. Imagine taking a trip to with teenagers to the beach and it's a nice 90 degree sunny day just like it is today and you arrive at the beach and you got the sunscreen and all the kids have the sunscreen and you say, you know what guys, there's a sunscreen and it'll protect you from sunburn if you just apply it. If you just put it on, if you wear it, it's gonna keep you from getting burnt. And all the kids are like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't wanna get sunburned. You know, I don't wanna be cranky later and I don't wanna have the pain and I don't wanna be crying out for aloe and I don't wanna be hydrated. That's, that's great advice, Pastor Ryan. You know, my parents said the same thing. I should put on some sunscreen. Sounds really good, but then you get to the beach and then all the kids start running around and all of that and you know, they fail to put on any sunscreen and then two hours later, three hours later, they come back burnt red. It's like, did you put on any sunscreen? Oh, no. Didn't matter how much they knew about the sunscreen. It didn't matter how much they even agreed with the belief that it protects you. Their knowledge did nothing if they didn't take it and apply it to their own lives. And you got to rub it down in deep. you got to get it into your skin. And the word of God is the same way. As that it does nothing for us if it's not applied. If we don't take it and practically make it active in our own lives. And just like the person that doesn't apply sunscreen, we end up burnt. We end up wounded by our own sins and our own transgressions and our own problems because we haven't taken God's word and applied it to our own lives. And so God's word is meant to be applied. It's meant for us to hear it, to know it, and to put into action. In fact, Paul says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. And so if you're sitting here today thinking, well, I'm in church and I'm here and I'm listening to the word, that can be the great deception. Well, I listened to a sermon. Well, well I read my Bible. Well, I did that, I did this. It, Paul's saying that is, can be, or James is saying that can be one of the greatest deceptions, that you deceive yourselves because you think that just hearing is enough. But God's word is meant to be lived out. It's meant to be modeled. It's meant to be demonstrated in your actions, in your thoughts, in your words, in your marriages, in your parenting, in your finances. God's word is meant to be alive and active in your lives. And listen, here's the thing, that when you apply God's word and you take God's word and you make it active in your life, you will reap the greatest benefits and blessings of your life. And not only will you reap the benefit and blessings, you will get to sow life into others. And you will get to impart life into others. Think about it. Dwell on it for a second. What's better here? What brings greater joy? Following God's command and offering forgiveness and, uh, and being forgiven or walking around in our bitterness, anger, and frustration? Is it better to love thy neighbor and to lay ourselves down for our neighbors and to serve and to assist or to walk around in hatred and disdain for those around us? Is it better to have peace, calmness, and trust and to, or to live in fear, anxiety, and worry? See, God's word is meant to be taken and put into action. It's meant that we are to follow his commands, to trust his teachings, and in that we will find life, we will give life, and we will sow life, not only into our lives, but the lives of others. 
James is not alone in his teaching of this. Jesus says this himself in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. He replied, blessed rather of those who hear the word of God and obey it. John 14 says this, just after Jesus is just getting done telling his disciples that if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it. You know what he says two verses later? If you love me, you will follow my commands. Did you catch the end of Ephesians 2? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, that we were created to be a living representation. We were created to image God and to live out his word and to reflect it. And so we have been given the free gift of grace and he has imparted that to us and he has bestowed upon us his righteousness. Why? To do good works, to make the kingdom of God come here on earth as it is in heaven to preach and teach the gospel, to model it in our lives. He goes on to say, um, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's a very simple analogy. You know, imagine waking up in the morning and many of us, I would hope, um, or look in the mirror before we go out because, you know, the hair could be sticking out. We could have some acne. We could have some things in our teeth. And James is saying the man that hears the word of God and listens to the word of God is like waking up in the morning and the hair's all a mess and, you know, I got a mess of my face and there's things in my teeth and I look at it and I see everything that I need to fix and everything that's going on before I enter public and I just walk away and I've forgotten everything that I've looked like and I just walk out the door. James is saying that's what it's like to hear the word of God and not to put it into place and to not allow it to change you. And so what do we do when we hear the word of God? Lord, we know that it says that we are not to become drunk, or it says that we know that we are not to lust, or we, says, we know that it says not to sin in our anger. We know that it calls us to reach out to our families and to our loved ones and to spread the gospel. And it's very easy to hear, and we all have the knowledge, and that's the easy part. It's a much harder thing to walk it out and to apply it to our lives. It's very easy to sit here on Sunday and hear a sermon to be charged up. Much harder to get in the car and the five-year-old's crying because he wants lunch or we, he can't have his candy before lunch. The one-year-old's crying because he wants his nap and lunch. And then the three-year-old's just begging for water or something, something about something else. And then all of a sudden you're like, it's much harder in those moments. I just heard the word of God. It's much harder to live it out in those moments. It's much harder to hear a sermon on Sunday and then to walk into work Monday and you have a boss that is grumpy and he's putting demands on you and he's putting pressures on you and you feel the frustration and it's much harder then. It's much harder when you have a child that is just not walking with the Lord or not following um, the footsteps that you think he should follow and there's some frustration and confusion. It's much harder to live out in the word of God then. So how are we to live out the word of God and how can we apply it? I have three things real quick. They're not exhaustive. They're not the complete things of what you should do, but um, there are three things that I think that can help us walk out and apply the word of God. After listening to it and after knowing what it says, we need to ask the Holy Spirit for help and we need to follow the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit says, you know what, um, you know, you need to offer forgiveness here or you need to do this or you need to have peace here where, and he speaks something into our lives, 
We need to follow it. Number two, you need to be accountable to someone. You need to have someone that says, you know what? Um, I know that this is an area of weakness in your life and I know that you struggle with lust or you struggle in this area. You need to have someone hold you accountable because I know that, have someone that says, the standard is the word of God and I wanna have you meet this because I want you to have life and I want you to have freedom. And so you gotta be accountable to someone. Accountable to say, hey, you know what? Pastor Will, have you read the word today? You know, have you been to church? Are you getting into God's word? You need to be accountable um, to people in your life. And number three, um, in the falling in lines with get help, or being accountable, it's get help. If you've been wrestling with things and you've been knowing that God has been working on something or knocking on the doors of your heart and you've gone weeks, months, and some of us even years wrestling with the same sin and the same issues and the same struggles, get help. Get professional help. Seek out counseling. Seek out advice so that you can make the word of God active in your life and you can then become a doer, not just a hearer. And so if you struggle with things like drunkenness, lust, or anger, or your marriage is hurting, or your finances are out of line, and by your own power and your own strength, you cannot do it and you haven't managed and you just keep running the same cycle, get help. Do something about it. So point number one is to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer. To make the word of God active in your life. It's not meant to just be heard, it's meant to be modeled and just lived out. Point number two um, Yep, you can go back. It's still on that thing. Thanks, Alex. It says this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And so James is contrasting the person that has looked in the mirror and that has ran out the door and has forgotten what they have looked like. He says, rather instead, this is what you are to do, to look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Others say the perfect law of liberty. So what do we do? Just look at the Statue of Liberty and hope that it comes and we find peace and no. What is this perfect law? What are we to look at? What is this action, this call, this command to fix our eyes on, to set our minds on, to be locked on? This perfect law? Jesus. For what the law could not do, Christ did. For where I could not fulfill it and where I could not walk it out and where I could not keep his commands, Jesus did on my behalf, and he walked it to perfection. And he lived it out. And so where I, where I fall short and where I know that I am able and where I am weak, Christ was strong. And there's a command and there's a call to keep my eyes fixed upon Jesus, to be locked in, to stare intently at. He lived it out. He walked it out. And now the thing that Christ has defeated um, that he has walked in victory over the law and that thing that was once my enemy, that thing that once was the thing that I couldn't match and I couldn't keep and that I couldn't perfect has now become my desire because Christ writes it on our heart and Christ enables us and he empowers us to now walk and to fulfill the law. I've probably used this analogy before and I've used it oftentimes in youth group to explain God's law and his commands and it comes um, from another preacher. His name's Tim Keller. And oftentimes we think that the greatest liberty in life and we think the ultimate sense of freedom is having the, the ability to do whatever we want to do, having no limits, having nothing binding us, and we think that God just is limiting our freedom. You know, I, I want to have sex before marriage. I, I want to get drunk. I want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want to have anyone, you know, um, in control of my life. And so we think that freedom exists outside the boundaries of God. And he uses this analogy. Imagine, Will, you hit the lottery tomorrow, all right? And uh, the first thing you buy, you're going to buy you and Rosa a yacht, all right? 
and uh, you got that yacht out on the Atlantic Ocean, and you're ready to, um, to take off and explore the seas. If you wanted to, it's your yacht, right? If you wanted to, you could take that yacht and drive it right up onto Wildwood Beach, couldn't you? You could. How much, how much uh, ocean would you be exploring? None. If you wanted to, you could set sails and you could navigate your way all, all the way to the Bermuda Triangle, right? If you wanted to, you could. You could. See, he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. But once he steps outside of the boundaries, he's either shipwrecked and stuck ashore or he's crashed at the bottom of the ocean, the Bermuda Triangle. And God's laws are like those boundaries at the optimal amount of flourishing, that God has created those so that way you can have life and that you could flourish within the boundaries and that the ultimate sense of freedom is not found outside of God's laws and outside of God's commands, but within them. That he's created them for your protection, for your good, so that you can operate in the plans and the paths and the ways that he has for you. And so we need to not see them as limitations or things that, oh, God, he's just, you know, a big, mean guy that wants control. No, he wants what is best for you, and he knows what is best for you to say, here, these are the boundaries, and this is where I want you to live inside the commands of God. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and we need to be locked in on him. And if you want to do a study this week, take a look into what God says about keeping our eyes fixed and keeping our eyes locked. And just look at all the verses where um, Colossians 2 says, set your mind on the things above. I'll read from um, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Psalms 21 tells us that when we're in our times of trouble and we're in our times of weakness, we are to lift our eyes up to the maker of the heavens and earth. And see, what happens is that when we take our eyes off and we become fixated on the problems and the situations, you know, well, you know, I'm just struggling with my finances or I have problems over here with my family or my work's a mess or my marriage is a mess. And very easily when our eyes become, when we take them off of Jesus and they become the things around us, and we're surrounded by the problems and the weight of the world and the burdens and the stress, we very easily start to crumble. Because why? Because our eyes have been taken off the author and the perfecter of our faith, and we start to fill the gaps, and we start to look for other things to fill the gaps and the places and the voids in our life, and then we become consumed by the problems and the things that we have going on, and we think that it is in our control and in our power and that we got to do something about it. And how many of us know that we oftentimes cannot manage that and we are very weak to handle those things in our life? And so James is writing, you got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. you got to stay locked in on who he is. you got problems in your marriage. you got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You're struggling in your finances. you got to look to Jesus and who he is and what he says about how, how to handle them. You got problems with your family members or your neighbors or you're wrestling with, you know, some of that. You got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and who he is and what he says and allow his perfect law and his perfect word to become active in your life. It goes on to say that, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. It's a struggle for us. We initially look or we initially have a problem or we initially, you know, are struggling in our marriages or in our walk and we come to Jesus and we have that moment where it feels like it's been redeemed and then very quickly we don't continue in it. I call it like the fad diet of Christianity. 
can think of all the fad diets since I can remember like sixth grade, you had the Atkins diet, NutriFast, you know, paleo, keto, um, Whole30. Now there's intermittent fasting and all of these things that we try to do to produce a healthier lifestyle for ourselves. But very often what happens is we go a month, two months, three months, four months even, and then and we lose initially, you know, a lot of weight and we start to develop healthy, healthier practices and healthier lifestyles. But what happens the moment that we stop? Very often we go back to the same things that um, those diets were restricting us from. So how about a better message and a better plan for wholeness is this. How about you build some disciplines into your life and you start only eating things that produce health and you start exercising and you start and you continue in what you started. You want a healthy lifestyle, you want a healthy Christian faith, you need to continue in what you started. The same grace that brought you into the kingdom is the same grace that I need today. It's the same grace that I need tomorrow and it's the same grace that I'm gonna need five years from now. Because the moment that I stop depending and relying and calling on the name of Jesus, I am in a heap of trouble. So not only do we need to look at it and stay fixed on it, we need to continue in it. Now you can go to the next verse. Point number three, James concludes with this. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and what it looks like to um, live a life that follows him and you really just want to take hold of it, here it is. He's given some practical advice. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Um, as Will will probably preach later in James chapter three, and I won't ruin it, that in the tongue, you can either bring life or death. So watch what comes out of your mouth. Number two, it says, um, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress. What does that mean? The orphans and the widows in James's times were those who had no one to protect them had no one to provide for them, had no one to look after them, had no one to champion their rights and to defend them and to support them, and they were looked as the outcasts and the weak and the feeble in their societies. And James saying, if you want to follow Jesus and you want to make the word of God active in your life, care for them. And so some of us, that can be a daunting task or that can be a large thing. And we're like, well, how do I do that, Pastor Ryan? How do I, you know, um, maybe you can't start an orphanage but you can look out for the neighbor who's unable to mow their grass or who has suffered an illness or an injury. Um, you can provide for them and love for them in that way. Maybe you can help out the parents who is struggling with divorce and you can invite their kids over and you can have them over for meals and you can love on them. Maybe you know someone is struggling with their bills or they are having a hard time financially and they really are trying and you can lend some support. So don't be consumed with the big things and all that. There's plenty of organizations out here that are already doing it. Volunteer at the Sunday Breakfast Mission. Volunteer at churches like the Blessing Place who are doing outreach um, for the homeless and, and the youth. But be involved. And I would kindly suggest that if your life, you say, well, Pastor Ryan, where do I find the time for that? Or where do I find you know, the room for that? My life is busy, my schedule is busy, and I just got a whole bunch of things, and I really just can't you know, do that. I would kindly suggest that if you don't got time to look after the weak and the disadvantaged and to love others and to serve others, then you start, need to start replacing the other things to make some time for this. If you don't got time to invite your neighbors over for dinner or you don't have time to you know, um, 
have your kids' friends over and to serve them and to love them, then you need to free up your schedule so that way you can make your faith active and you can live it out and you can model it. And lastly, he says this, to keep yourself, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think the solution to that is really simple, is that if you become um, so active in your faith and you are living it out and you are hearing the word of God and you are modeling it, as a father, a mother, a husband, a wife, a coworker, a neighbor. And if you were so active in living that out and modeling that, guess what? You got no time to be polluted by the world because you'll be so busy because the needs and the hurts and the wounds and the things of this world are great. And if you set your mind to do those things and you become active and you make your faith active, you'll have no time to mess with the things of the world or to be polluted by the things that it has to offer. But the danger is, is that when we take our mind and our things off of the eyes of Christ and we're not fixed on that, then we very easily take on the world's habits, patterns, thoughts, and attitudes, and mindsets. And it's very easy for us to become polluted with the things of this world. And so we'll conclude like this. Um, I'm gonna share one last thing. And if I could ask Derek to come and sing the last song that we sung in worship about being set free. the greatest example for anything is Jesus. And Jesus didn't sit by and just go, well, you know what, Father? That's a great plan. That's a great idea for us to save humanity. It sounds great. Uh-huh. You're a real genius. That, that's an amazing story. Jesus didn't just sit by and say, ah, he wasn't just a hearer, but he was the ultimate doer. That he walked to that cross and he put your sin and your death, or put sin to death so that you could receive the righteousness of God. He was active in his faith. If he only just listened to the Father and he only just heard it and says, you know what, that's a great plan, then this all would be pointless or worthless. But he lived out his faith and he modeled it. Look at his life. There's hardly ever a story. There's only a few times where Jesus is spending time alone with the Father and most everything else is his interaction with people. It's his interaction with the Pharisees. It's his teaching to people. It's his healing. It's his reaching out. It's his spending his time with his disciples. It's his life was involved and he was not just a hearer, but it was, he was a doer. And so as we leave today and as we close today and after Derek sings, um, we will close it out and we'll all head to the church picnic, but make it active in your life this week. And if you don't know where to start, two things. Start by reading the word of God and hearing it because he will make it clear what to do. And two, find somebody to serve, find someone to love, find someone that you can tangibly reach out to. Whether it be an encouraging text message, whether it just be a meal, whether it just be a knock on the door and saying, hey, I wanna, I'm thinking of you. I haven't seen you in a while. I'm just saying hello. What can I do for you? But do it because Christ did it for you, that he paid your price and he walked to the cross. He didn't just hear, he lived it out. He modeled it and he is the perfect law. And now he has enabled us to do it. So join us in singing as we go today.